Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 154 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books for the first time. In this episode, we are finishing the annotated The Hobbit by Douglas A. Anderson by way of J.R.R. Tolkien. Welcome to the book rap party. And that's how you start an episode. <laughs> Don't know what you mean. Um, so in this episode, we're going to be reading from chapter 15 to the end of the book. Mm. If you haven't caught up with us or been reading along, uh, fuck you, and now's your chance. Um, wow. I'm sure, I'm sure you're very busy. But you have an opportunity to pause us and go finish your book. The thing about podcast people, you don't have to listen to them when they come out. You can just you can just unsubscribe. Uh, <laughs> it's not how this works. Yeah, well, think about it this way. How many podcasts are always telling people to subscribe and like and pound that b- bell and whatever the fuck your different platforms have you do? What if we said, hey, we don't even want you to listen <laughs> We would be uh, happier if, like, the Voyager probe, no one ever heard our melodies. Uh, I mean... Because it's the putting it out there that's the achievement. It's not whether or not you're the number one podcast, or the number one podcast in books, or the number one podcast in your state, or the number one podcast on your street. Like, even if you can't achieve any of those accolades, just putting it out there is a success. I would argue that there's merit in the hope that one day that gold record will be listened to. Yeah, if some alien species figures out how to make a turntable, then I think yeah, they'll well, be able to look at it and use their alien science to figure out that, oh, if we put a needle in this shit, we'll hear some <laughs> whale song. Yeah, yeah, they'll hear like 16 people from 70 years ago go, hello, <laughs> in different languages. Uh, like 45 years ago? And Nick Sagan will read a poem on it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's dumb. It's, uh, I mean, it's cute. It's poetic. It's romantic. But it's dumb. I mean, Carl Sagan and Andrean fell in love on that mission. Yeah. Like I said, it's romantic. I just said that. Like, of course they're going to fall in love. I don't know, man. It's just it, like some of the most romantic things are worthless and pointless and terrible ideas, <laughs> and achieve but they're not worthless and pointless because they're romantic. They Romeo and Juliet, romance. yeah, both die at the end needlessly. Agreed. Most not people pointless though. Well, because you know one of them had a dagger. Ah, uh, um, because love. That's why it's not pointless. It's not really love anyway. But it is really love. It's just uh, dumb love. <laughs> But it's yeah. still love. It was still love. Dumb love is pointless. Well, if you were a person in... You already agreed there was a dagger. In a dumb love, then think about getting a dagger. Hath no man's dagger here a point for me? Yeah, no point. Exactly. It's pointless. That's he exactly was just saying... Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, Much Ado About Nothing is what I would say that fucking Voyager probe was. But, uh, yeah, I got nothing. Ah, I wrapped it up. Okay, so if you are a, if you're a space alien making this your first contact with human life is this podcast, I hope you don't mind having the Hobbit spoiled for you. <laughs> so let's now that we've really ramped into this show, let's start with let's start the intro chapter. Nope, let's start with chapter fifteen, the Gathering of Clouds. The thrush from the Grey Door returns to Thorn and company to spread the news of Smaug's death. But none of the dwarves or Bilbo's speak thrush, 
So the thrush leaves and returns with a large balding raven who speaks English quite well and shares with them the news of the day. The dwarves ask the raven to spread word to their kin and request them march towards Erebor in preparation for its defense. Shortly after, the dwarves have bolstered themselves in the dragon's keep. The armies of Dale and the elven king of Mirkwood are at their door. A formal attempt at parley between the dwarves and men proves unsuccessful, as Thorin is not keen to part with any of his hard-fought treasure. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Good, uh, good summary. I have a note on page 314. Okay, what's your note? It's actually on, on annotation number one. Uh, and it's that it's the annotation about explaining, like, ravens in Norse mythology and probably why, like, Tolkien, ha- like, used them and, and made a made a difference... Made it made a special point of differentiating between crows and ravens, mm-hmm. and I just put down here that I have uh, I have two small black dogs about twenty pounds each, and the only reason they're not named Hugen and Moonen is because the adoption agency wouldn't let me adopt two sisters from the same litter. I had to wait a year between dogs and just got lucky enough to adopt a smaller dog that was all black who also only happened to grow to about twenty pounds, but. I didn't have both of them at the same time, so I didn't know I would get another one, so I didn't name them after Odin's ravens. And you're saying you would have done? I definitely probably would have at the time because it was it would have been just such an easy choice. It would have been like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, obviously that's what I'll name them. Well, also you have two eyes, so. So does Odin sometimes. Come on. Sometimes. Bro. He didn't start with one eye. Bro. I got time to lose my eye, bro. That's I true. got plenty of time. That's true. Also, I'm not entirely sure I pronounced that, those names correctly. Uh, I, I heard something recently that made it sound like it might be pronounced Haugen and Maunen, but I don't I don't know. But there's no umlaut. There's no umlaut, but it's also like, that would be like Norwegian or Finnish, and I don't know if they, do they use the umlauts or is that just German? No, then think about it, they might only use that O with the slash through it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I did learn that they do use for something. I was I was watching a video that was based on reading this book. That was about how in some of those languages in like Norse, there will be names where you can see like Thor will be spelled with two R's at the end, and sometimes with one, mm-hmm. and that that has confused people sometimes to be like I don't understand like what, is it the same characters the same person is it. What is it signifying? Is it signifying like an older version of the person, like like a like an ancestor or something? And he's I don't lived so long he's gained another R. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't I don't remember quite the exact reasoning behind the answer, but the answer is essentially it has to do with whether or not the name is the subject of the sentence or like something another part of the sentence. Huh. So like if the if the the, the name is like depending on how the name is used in the sentence, it was, it gets a different spelling specifically to like differentiate it from those, the other usage. So, you know, when you see it, it's like, Oh, this is the active character or this is the subject or this is the active verb or whatever, something like that. That's kind of fascinating. And seems like it would make uh, your language class a lot easier. Yeah. You think I said language class. I wanted to say English, but then, not it English. Be, it wouldn't be English class in, in Norse. Even oh, though they wouldn't. both read Beowulf. Yeah, they do. Funny. Suspicious. I like it. Um, I've got another note on page 316. I also have some notes on page 316. What's yours? 
Mine's very simple. It's just that as a proud Alaskan, I'm excited to see The Hobbit draw such a regal distinction between crows and ravens. <laughs> we'll explain that. Um, it, uh, in in the book, there's a part where they where Ball and shit talks crows <laughs> and talks about how great ravens are. And uh, in Alaska, we have ravens. We don't have crows, and ravens mm. are better than crows. I because the, the the birds up here were menacing and terrifying, so I wasn't sure. No, they're they're what side of the coin you were coming down on. They're huge and beautiful they're and smart. Huge. I always thought crows were bigger, but oh no, my friend, crows are like smaller than a magpie. What? Yeah, crows are tiny. I have a hard time believe, believing that. I've seen this movie uh, with Brandon Lee. Right. Um, it had a crow. Yeah. And it was massive. One. Yeah, it was It was a uh, human size, I believe. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that human had a familiar no, that, crow. That was the crow. Right, we talked about that. That's, that's the crow you're talking about is the crow in the movie The Crow. It's, okay. My memory serves its human size. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, it's you uh, could argue it's anthropomorphic. <sighs> Win this argument never more. <laughs> um, There's I really also like... a whole football team of crows that are equally human sized. Or excuse me, those are ravens. I apologize. Those are actually ravens. Three sixteen. Uh, I like the notes that rock and crock. Our marvelously onomatopoeic invented name for birds and bird speech. Yep. And every time I, since I saw that note, I had to like say, cock, every time I read it, or rock. It's fun. Enjoyed it. Also, there's a comment about a, a very, the most decrepit old bird. I just imagined a crow with a cane and it, it tickled me. Yeah, I imagined it like, like a mottled bird that was like lurching forward and, mm, mm. Rickety knees. Chew up my worms for me. Oh, oh. I actually saw an early bird get a worm the other day. The way oh, yeah? Dropping my kid at school. And I was like, holy crap, birds really do eat worms. I've never seen that. Really? There was a fat, ugly robin in my backyard a couple days ago. And my wife saw it and she's like, look, it's eating our worms. And then I looked over and I was like, are you sure it's not just eating slugs? <laughs> Not to not to be too pedantic, but I think it's eating slugs. And she was like, "Oh yeah, I think you're right." And She's I don't like, know you if ruined everything. I don't know if that's worse or better for a bird to eat slugs or worms. I I know that I'm happy with it eating slugs because slugs are gross and they eat other things I don't want them to eat. Whereas worms seem to just make dirt better. I feel like slugs is better because also it's a, it's a higher brown delicacy for birds. I mean, it's like escargot without oh. that pesky shell. Yeah. But even if they had a shell, if it was a thrush, it would smash that shell against the rock and right? eat them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it was a shrike, it would impale that thrush on the thorns. Oh, wait, the snail. I've lost the thread. Wow. Back Want to, to start, you. Start the whole episode over? Um, Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. <laughs> uh, do you have any more notes in that chapter? I don't. All right. Then that brings us to chapter 16. A Thief in the Night. Bilbo seeks out the enemy camp where he meets with Bard and the Elven King. He gifts Bard the Arkenstone to use in their bartering with Thorin in an attempt to ease the parlay process. A grateful Bard thanks Bilbo before the Hobbit is on his way back towards the mountain. But as Bilbo is about to leave the camp, Gandalf returns to praise the Hobbit for his cunning and good intentions, but warns that more strife than he can foresee is coming. Mm. I have a note on 331. 
I have a, pay, a chapter note. So what's your what's your okay. three three one? I have actually two notes on three three one. Uh, the first one is, I love the quaint cleverness of Bilbo's assertion that if he has to be a burglar, he'll be an honest one. That's that's very fun, very Tolkienish. That's very it like, feels mm-hmm. like you know, the the yogiisms I think I referenced earlier. They're playing with paradox. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's cute. Uh, and then the other note is just again that the art on page three three one is my favorite artist in the book so far. It was really um, by Chica. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. It's it's so my vague recollections of leftovers from the seventies. Yeah, it's it's got this like <sighs> Andy Cap vibe, like like where it feels kind of like like you just I just kind of expect that that version of Bilbo to have sort of a, a nice voice. It's a little a little Mickey Mouse ish, but not also more British than this. But uh, it's not just, bad. Yeah, Andy Cap. I was thinking more like the Partridge Family animated opening credits, but similar. Nice. Yeah, I could definitely... I could see an animated film in that style. That yeah, it's fun. not quite Hanna-Barbera, but it's like another Saturday morning cartoon from that era. It's just, it is, it's cute. It's, there's flowers, there's stripes. Well, one of the things about it, things. I think that's, that's really strong is that it runs with those strong rudimentary shapes. Bilbo's head's very round. Mm-hmm. His, his face and a lot of his other features are very circular, mm-hmm. which is a simple shape that, you know, makes keeps it um, minimalist but also like cartoonish and playful and I think that that is the tone I feel like this book really wants to have whereas I I think that after reading the book and looking at all of Tolkien's notes about his own art and other artists arts about for this book I think that he was a little too much trying to come up with some sort of something realistic some sort of realism in his art and and in the art that he liked for this book Mm -hmm. and I can appreciate that for the later books but for this book it really does feel more like a children's book that should have the opportunity to be a for kids. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, agree. Uh, for, totally. for, chi- for chicas, for chicas, and and that uh, sort of sort of works with that art. I mean, the, the art on the facing page is very much in that Prince Valiant kind, and I always hated even looking at Prince Valiant and their you know word bubbles of infinity in the newspaper. So oh, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. more engaged in the, uh, I mean, this, 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 this Chica artwork makes me want to listen to Jefferson airplane. That's all I'm saying. It, it's so fun looking like he's it got is, these, it is these mushrooms trousers. Flowers everywhere. Yeah. I just want to see a whole, and he doesn't look like, he doesn't look stupid. He just looks like round and happy. Like look at this, how his chin and his nose are like equivalent circle shapes. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just very nice. It's like it's like it's like yellow submarine without any of the tedium. But you also don't lose any of that detail in things like those mushrooms. Like all the mushrooms around, or even his feet, like have nice, like clear detail. They're not just like one lumpy shape. It's right. it's just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's one of the only ones that has that sort of. Uh, oh, here's another one. I found. An, I just happened to flip to another Chica art on two eighty five. That is. It's just reminiscent of the same the hairstyle. I think I think I really just love the consistency that Chica uses on mm. in, in her. I think it's a her. I'm assuming it's a her because the name is girl. Um, a lot of the artists are are hers, so it's not a unreasonable guess. Yeah, right. The one where he's in the he's in smog's the fire. fire. Yeah, 
and it it's, just like the, the 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 model the model design is so consistent mm-hmm. that it's it's just impressive it's it's like i could read a comic book of the hobbit in this art style it would be fucking amazing i would like to see a uh an animated special yeah it's so good join us on kickstarter for our chica themed hobbit now that being said i also i remember really liking this other art over here on page 154 the virgil finlay art for the exact opposite reason was it was just much more highly detailed and uh interesting in that in a different way oh definitely definitely but even that while having a lot of dark doesn't have that like ink bleed right look that 330 does yeah yeah, the three the three thirty one sucks. It, it's just, <laughs> I I completely agree. It, it, there's there's certain like, it, it it bogs you down. You're like, Ugh. oh, here's another chica. Um, on three seventeen. Oh, weird. That seems okay. I can see it in the Bilbo now, but everything else looked quite different. Yeah, it does. But I'm still into it. Sure. I don't know if I love the the dwarf design, but the the Bilbo design still fucking rad. Mm. Um, well, anyway, I'm a big Chica fan now, um, after reading this book, and if you're not, uh, like I said before, just fucking unsubscribe. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, the, uh, get the book, though, really, like, these, this book is great. Anyways, let's go back to the, the chapters and stuff. Mm. Um, did you have any more notes in chapter yeah. 16? Yeah, this is perhaps my favorite thing Bilbo has done. Sick of everyone's shit, he takes matters into his own hands to end it, not caring mm-hmm. who he pisses off. Yeah. I'm like, man, I see you, Bilbo. Well, I think I, he does. I would argue, I think he does care who he pisses off, but I think he can recognize his own sacrifice. I for mean, the care good. colloquially, meaning it would stop him. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. But yes, he, uh, yes, he's concerned for people's little feelings, <laughs> but not enough to stay his hand. Spake for the sociopath. Na- <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> okay I so have no, i have no come back to that <laughs> me <laughs> yeah i i think that I agree uh it's it certainly is i think a very clever final moment for his hero's journey like the last threshold he has to cross mm. is but be- sort of betraying his friend's trusts for their own good right making him a real hero his last um, his last bit of character growth yeah, or less, you know, big bit. Yeah, um, is is will he? He's gained all these friends, but will he sacrifice their friendship for the for their own good? Mm-hmm. You know, to save their lives, will he end their friendship? It's a it's a very you know difficult choice to make, and it's it's. I don't really know if a lot of time is spent on him grappling with that choice, but he uh, he certainly makes it, and that's good enough, I guess. Yeah, that's it for me. Uh, all right, then that brings us to chapter 17. The clouds burst. The battle of the five armies commences, with men, dwarves, and elves rallying against the goblin hordes. Azog's son, Balg, is here, and he wants to fight Dane. This is one of those battle chapters with lots of great descriptions of troops and swords, but not much else. The eagles arrive at the end to save the day, and Bilbo gets hit in the head with a rock. Yep. No notes. Um, at least it was short. I got a couple notes. Um, okay. Page 334. Thorin spoke to Bilbo like a rabbit. 
I missed that. The, I think that's oh, the last Bilbo is a rabbit a reference. He shook Bilbo like a rabbit. Yeah. You undersized burglar. <laughs> you, cried Thorne, turning upon him and gape, grasp, gape, hold on, I can do this again. All right. You, you, cried Thorin, turning upon him and grasping him with both hands. You miserable hobbit, you undersized burglar, he shouted, at a loss for words, and he shook poor Bilbo like a rabbit. Like a rabbit. Like like you'd shake your shake rabbit. <laughs> All right. Page 339. Not saying it's the first time, just the first time I've noticed Gandalf being described with a staff. We had a conversation in an earlier episode mm. about how it seemed like Gandalf was never with a staff. He only he, had his sword. Specifically a wand, didn't he, at one point? He had a wand at one point yeah, for okay. sure. Now, again, is that is the, are those actually synonymous in uh, Tolkien's language? I didn't think um, they were. I don't know how much I'm imposing based on Harry Potter knowledge or what. Sure, sure. What, what do you think the core of Gandalf's wand is? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably a Balrog tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a Nazgul heartstring, or uh, the fuck is a the, heartstring? Uh, <laughs> um, it it's the uh, the light of Iluvatar, probably. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's probably it. Where where's this? Oh, his staff blazed forth with a flash like lightning. Fair enough. Yeah, well, they just, were it, it, talking. They they he try he he Tolkien twice pulled tries to. He doesn't even try. He makes no effort at pulling this bait and switch of there was an old man holding a box. <laughs> oh, it was Gandalf. Yeah. It was Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. But oh, by the way, that's Gandalf. Anytime yeah. you see an old man, it's Gandalf. Um, but I guess he's holding a box and a staff, which seems cumbersome for an old man. But old man equals staff. Maybe that's all it is. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I don't know. But it's it's definitely feels new. It feels like an addition of something that I feel like I would have noticed earlier in the book. Yeah. And it just it, it I don't believe he's ever described having a staff. Let me rephrase. I can't recall him being described with a staff before this. Mm-hmm. The only reason that's important is because we did talk about it already, and that's noteworthy. Maybe he got the staff in his uh fight with the necromancer. He might have, but we don't we don't know though. And that's not know. even that's not even in, in the appendices in this book. It's no. like it's just sort of vaguely referenced in the notes and it must be in the appendices of one of the other books. I think it is. I think because they still had the rights to Lord of the Rings when they made the Hobbit, they were able to take things out of the appendices that were from that time and say right. this is what happened. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so at least there was an Azog for them to draw on. Yeah, and Balg. Balg is in the movies too. Oh, is he? Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember that. There are. Yeah, there's basically. It's not clarified that they're father and son, but it's. Um, Azog is definitely very iconic, and then Balg is the only other orc that looks remotely noteworthy. Right. And he shows up and is Azog commands him to do stuff sometimes. Last note on this chapter, it's a. Uh, I think it's dumb that the wolves are considered a separate army from the goblins when counting the battle of the five armies. Yeah. I feel like that's equivalent to saying that the horses, the men rode were their own army. I think that's very fair. Um, but the battle of four armies doesn't sound as epic. No, but there are also the eagles. Yeah. He could have counted the eagles. It seems like it's right there. It seems like 
was it the Rankin Bass animated movie uh as the note references called the Eagles the fifth participant and was superior for it? Yep. Um, but again, oh, I think it said it was inferior. I thought it said it was a mistake. No, 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 no. no. That's my. I'm saying that oh, it was superior right. for it. The only note, I'll, the only criticism I'll have of, of my note is that if memory serves, the wolves are separate from the goblins, in that the wolves are the are the ones that chase them out of the woods after they leave the mines where uh, Bilbo meets Gollum. Right, and then and the, some of the goblins later ride the wolves. Yes, and they yeah. talk about having wargs and all that stuff, and that's yeah. the part that feels like a little a little similar. Right. But whatever, it's it's fine. It's just like whenever I try to count the armies, it's like yeah, there's like three, four if you count if you count the goblins. So right. it's it's a it's a little clunky for yeah. all the stuff he revised and worked over. It feels like that's a weird one. I wonder what his like justification for it is. I feel like he was enchanted with the phrase "the Battle of the Five Army Five Armies." But why not the why not the Eagles anyway? Because right. Eagles, man, they don't they don't they're not part of it. They abstain. They're just like fine. We'll they do the not end. do that. They show up at the very no, end. No, they don't. Multiple no, times. No, you're not. You're missing my nuance. They Three times abs- they abstain. There we go. We they abstain. What does that mean? That means they're like, no, 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 we abstain. No, 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 we abstain. Fine, we'll get into it. <laughs> they're clearly American. But, World but War that II. La- but that last bit is also not abstaining. <laughs> yeah, I know. And also, this book was written before World War Two. That's why he's a visionary. Okay. <laughs> he could have used some of that vision to stop Hitler. <laughs> Maybe but he didn't, which makes Tolkien the real villain of World War II. Not at all. He could have been like Cassandra. We don't know all the letters he wrote to Churchill that were ignored. I mean, we know a lot about his letters. If he wrote letters <laughs> to Churchill, he probably would have, someone would have kept them. That's probably very true. Look, uh, the point is, I don't have a leg to stand on. Oh, okay. Well, at least that you have that in common with an old raven. Hmm. Okay. So, do you have any more notes in that chapter? No. That brings us to chapter 18. The Return Journey. Bilbo awakens to discover the battle ended, the goblins defeated, and the dwarven human and elvish armies scattered and recuperating. Bilbo is rushed to Thorin's deathbed, where the king under the mountain, with his last words, apologized to the hobbit for his previous behavior. The shaking, etc. Feely and Kili are also dead. Dane became king and gave one fourteenth share of the hoard to the men of Dale and the Elven King. Bilbo, unable to take his whole share, was given two small chests full of gold and silver before bidding his companions goodbye and traveling home with Gandalf and Bjorn. Yep. I have no notes in this chapter. Really? Yeah. I thought you would. First of all, I want to say Tolkien sure does like his hobbits waking up at the end of the book chapters, doesn't he? Gandalf? <laughs> um, I really thought you were going to have a note on page 350. About the, like the song? Or, hold on. Yes, like the song. Oh, I said about the song. Mm, no. Mm, 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 mm. The very last paragraph of page 350. Oh, about Orchrist? Yeah, it comes back. Yeah, yeah, I know. Orchrist returns. And yeah. they acknowledge that it was taken by the elves, as you had mentioned. And it's it's all canonized, and he took his notes, and he paid attention, and uh, don't you feel validated? Mm-hmm. 
I paid attention. You did pay attention. You did good. You did real good. I did. I knew it. You did. But you know what that means? No. Someone could go steal it. Someone we could, we could write we could write a, a a story afterwards where someone has to break into the mountain again mm-hmm. and steal our Arcrist from uh, Thorin's tomb. Oh, what a heist! What a heist it would be. We need a burglar. <laughs> oh, what a heist! What a glorious heist! Witness me. <laughs> I like it. I I would. We're going back to the mountain. The you Hobbit. Have four. to go back. Okay, so I'm not that uh, hobbit anymore. <laughs> it's like super buff Bilbo, like he's just been lifting weights, tattoos. Yeah, he's just he's just shaved head, no more Frodo curls. on his knuckles. Yeah, <laughs> he's one rings is. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. Uh. Thank you for for reminding me that I paid attention. Do you have any more notes in this chapter? I do not. All right. That brings us to chapter 19. The last stage. Bilbo and Gandalf make their way back to the Shire by way of Rivendell and a quick stop off to pick up the treasure buried near the stone trolls. Bilbo arrives to find his house ransacked and all his possessions put up for auction by his neighbors who presume him dead. This is reminiscent of an estate sale. Mm-hmm. Our story ends with a wrap-up that forecasts future events and loose end tying for those readers worried Bilbo might not be happy unless they're told otherwise. What I mean by that is uh, at the end of the story, it's like, and Bilbo lived happily ever after, but in the most Tolkien way. Right. And Which we also know isn't entirely true, but I, uh, one of the notes says something like, Tolkien found a way to cleverly justify this, even though Bilbo is crazy and old and scary and also ends up, I guess, happy at the end. Yeah. So that was interesting. I have no notes in that chapter. The last couple chapters are just like, they just happen. Um, My only note is uh, the Sackville Bagginses, these motherfuckers. Yeah. This chapter is not a good ending for me. This always makes me very anxious. That people come into his house and they start selling his shit and you can't get it all back. I'm like, this is, this is unfair. Bilbo, you need to burn the Shire to the ground. And he also, don't forget that he ends up spending all of his hard-earned coin that he earned on this crazy adventure just to get his shit back to where it was when he left. Buying his own shit back. (laughs) I mean, yes, he still has plenty left over and uses it for gifts and shit, but still, it makes me so infuriated. He wasn't even gone seven years, man. That's when you can legally have someone declared dead. This is bullshit. not not in the Shire, apparently. Apparently not. Yeah, no, you're right. It just makes me mad. Bull. Kick um, some hobbit ass, Bilbo. <laughs> Poor Bilbo. He, uh, there's another artwork that I don't remember what page it's on. Um, that I do, I did have a note I wanted to talk about. It might be, it might be later. We might not even have come to it yet. Oh, okay. There's a lot of artwork later. So. Yeah, here it is. I found it. Okay. okay. It's in, it's in the Bibli. I, I, I didn't like the ending because it was. I like that ending of like him, like now he has a new challenge to fight that only mm. he can battle. Like I like that he's like it's it's a little like saying life's an adventure. You know, you're never going to be done, and that's like, fair. It's, it's and always something. It's definitely a challenge he can meet. Yeah, because he's he's weathered all this other shit. He's like, really? I just got yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Yeah, and then but but I I I don't what I don't like is the part after that where then it's like 
And then he bought everyone gifts. And Balin showed up, and they had a nice little tea. And it's like, fucking... <laughs> it's still a book for kids. I mean, come on. I know. It's just like... I don't even think the kids need that. I think it would have been nice and funny and quaint for it to end with him being like, give me back my closets. Like, I want all my stuff back. <laughs> I think that would have been fine. And but, the Sackville um, Bagginses were never heard from again, though there were tasty sausages were. at Bilbo's party. <laughs> Proud feet. Um, <laughs> all right, do you have any more notes in that chapter? No, I don't. Then let's move on to Appendix A. The Quest of Erebor. This is Gandalf's commentary on The Hobbit. He explains the origins of his interactions with Thorin, his chance encounter with Thane, or Thrain, and his map and key. He explains why he chose Bilbo for the mission and how he talked Thorin into a stealth mission instead of an all-out war with Smaug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, to be, to be a little more specific... This is a story that's being told at a time when it's like Gimli and Frodo and Perry and Gandalf all hanging out and chatting. I think after, I think he says it's after the coronation of Aragorn. Yeah, in, after the crowning. Gondor, yeah. right. Yeah. So all of them are there and they're having a like a, a, a hangout and Gimli's like, there's something I've been curious about or whatever. And then Gandalf has to be like, well, I was a different man then. <laughs> Literally. I don't remember anything, but then he remembers everything. Right. And so this is, that's how this is told. It's, it's told sort of like as if Gandalf is just speaking all these facts out loud at these characters. Right. And then they have a chance to ask questions and follow up and all that other stuff. Which as I understand it, cause I've never seen it. And I don't even know if it's Rankin and Bass or if it's the other guy who did all the rotoscoping animation. But Fleischer? No, 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 no. Um, fuck. Like the movie Wizards. Mm. That guy. And Heavy Metal, maybe? Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. There, there, there's, there's, um, there's a Lord of the Rings animated movie and then a sequel. And I've never seen either of those, but one of them has everybody sitting around recounting events. And that's how, that's like the framework to like do more of a clip show so they can get all Lord of the Rings into like it's, you know, shorter movie length. And Fascinating. This, this reminds me of what I've heard that was like. Huh. Huh. Uh, yeah. That's, that, 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 that's just that. That's, I you, mean, this was you, a, good. Well, when you pointed that out, that's what made me think of. I'm like, oh, right. I was told that that's how they handled the uh, complexity of that book in an animated feature. I am grateful for this section because it, I'm glad it's in this book because mm-hmm. uh, the, the annotation mentions that it, it's actually part of an, a different book, like part of the return of the King or something. And, and those appendices, but it's, it really does belong in this story because it has everything to do with the filling the gaps about where Gandalf is in this. Absolutely. Book. And it is interesting to see, like, oh, those maybe this is part of what when people would whine about how much of this the movie was additional supplementary material that wasn't part of the book. Maybe they're just forgetting the appendices in the other books because mm-hmm. all of the stuff he talks about is included in the movies, right? Like the the council with the with the white wizard, the uh, the fight at Goldagur or whatever it's called, finding uh, Thrain getting his map and key, like all that stuff happens in the, in the movies. I don't remember them fighting Thrain. That's cool. 
it might have been in the extended edition, but it's mm. very much part of it is Thrain is locked up in the Necromancer's Tower and Gandalf and Radagast, I believe, both go to save him. And then Radagast, Radagast's inclusion is completely fabricated. I, I will acknowledge that. But they they go and then Radagast leaves and Gandalf has to save. Like Gandalf basically fights Sauron by himself. Right. And then saves Thor or whatever his name is, Thrain, and uh, and gets his map and key, and then I, I Thrain like dies, I think somehow, but it's 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 a cool like element, it's a cool moment. They're they're not. I mean, after having read this book, they're not really that. The movies aren't that bad or that far off. Like the inclusion of Azog as a principal character is a bit much. Like mm-hmm. I'll acknowledge that if that wasn't there, I would probably think the the movies were just simply better. The inclusion of of Tariel is also stupid and dumb and way too distracting and and just just takes too much of time of the three movies that together are about 10 hours long right and and it's like that that's the part where it's like this is why this is unnecessary like not only is it has nothing to do with the origin text it is so in that way it's already got a strike against it but also it just makes the movie take longer and that's not much better for anyone Mm -hmm. so but other than that, and, and Radagast's inclusion, I guess, again, would be like, that's seemingly completely fabricated, but I don't mind it. Like, Radagast is kind of a fun character, and the way that he, like, contributes is fine. But other than that, it's pretty good. So you haven't seen any of them, or only seen the first one? I've seen the first one. I've seen the first two. Okay, you haven't seen Battle of the Five Armies? Correct. I do, well, I believe I have a five, like I said, I have a five-hour edit of all three that's supposed to be streamlined and far more like the book, but I've never watched it. That sounds good. Um, there's a great moment in Battle of the Five Armies where, like, it just gets so groan-worthy, where, like, the, the... Oh, also, Legolas isn't in the books at all, so having Legolas... But that I count that as part of the Tariel debacle. Sure. fair enough. The there's a moment where because they have to have Legolas porn in the movie like he there's this fucking amazing sequence where he's like running on a a stone bridge that is actively collapsing and it goes into like slow-mo bullet time bullshit where he's like leaping on stones that are actively falling like he's Mario or something and it and shooting people with arrows all the same time at the same time and it ends with uh, one of many because again this happens more than once in these movies where Legolas straight up decapitates someone. Like it happens probably three or four times where he just cuts the head off of a person. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I guess this is just normal now. And he's the good guy. The guy who's just decapping people. It's bizarre. They're not really people. They're filthy orcs. Yeah. And that's the way we should look at, hu- at people. And we should look at others as as how we can separate them into people we can decapitate with guilt free. Well, I mean, they're not people; they're orcs. That's so okay. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. Um, <laughs> the uh, so anyway, 
yeah, I like this chapter. I like, like, again, it helps fill in those gaps that I feel like are necessary. When you have a principal character like Gandalf just disappear because you need Bilbo to achieve things on his own or without the comfort of the safety net of the wizard for his character to grow. Like, that makes sense. But also being that it is a real, it's a story, you got to find some way to justify what that character was doing and why it was more important than protecting Bilbo, who, from the audience's perspective, is the most important thing. Right. Because he's the protagonist. So it's it's great. It's a little weird that it had to come at the end of the fourth book in the series, but it's fine. Anyway, did you have any notes in this section? Um, well, like you've mentioned, uh, Gandalf at last answers my very first question mm-hmm. about why Bilbo. Right. Um, let's see. On page 371, I thought it was interesting. Uh, this description of Bilbo that Gandalf gives could almost, um, could and all the possible... Clearly, it's my readings of it, but there could almost be a clear reading of Bilbo. I had that first thought, too, and I, I found a way to dismiss it in a way that I think is reasonable. Oh, it's I mean, it, it, it. I don't think it needs to be dismissed because it's, you know, the reader bringing well, that to I, the book. I, I, fair enough. But I think that the reader is missing the thing they're reading if they have that if they make that assumption, hmm. um, which is I'm about to try to justify. OK, um, shall we read so, it then? Yeah. Um, where okay. is it? I'm going to I'm going to try to find it. Because uh, I, I I had this I called my wife in and I said I think this book sh- book just told me Bilbo's gay and no I, I, I and I don't think the book's saying that's what I'm saying I'm right, saying okay. the book's definitely not saying that I'm just okay. saying there's room if you wanted to you could have that in your own personal canon and it doesn't matter but here's the passage that pointed at once to Bilbo and I had known him eh, hold on let me start over that pointed at once to Bilbo. And I had known him once very well, almost up to his coming of age, better than he knew me. I liked him then, and now I found that he was unattached. To jump on again, for of course I did not know... Oh, Jesus, skippity skip skip. I learned that he had never married. I thought that odd, though I guessed why it was, and the reason I guessed was not the one that most of the hobbits gave me, that he had early been left off... Left. I can't fucking read. Which page is this? I'm having a Doug moment. 371. I'm going to skip all that again and read the really the meaty part. No, I guess that he wanted to remain unattached for some reason deep down, which he did not understand himself or would not acknowledge for it alarmed him. That's it. I'm done there. Oh, that's the uh, that's the part where I wouldn't stop because um, no, I guess that he wanted to remain unattached for some reason deep down, which he did not understand himself or would not acknowledge for it alarmed him. He wanted all the same to be free to go when the chance came or he had made up his courage. I remember how he used to pester me with questions when he was a youngster about the hobbits that had occasionally gone off as they say in the Shire, said in the Shire, there were at least two of his uncles on the took side that had done so. So what this is saying is that the reason Bilbo didn't marry and didn't attach himself with any one person of any proclivity it has nothing to do with his orientation or his interest sexually or anything to do with that. It had everything to do with knowing deep down that he wanted to go on an adventure someday. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted to keep himself open to that so that he wouldn't have anyone left behind when he did. And yeah, that's in being that that is a thing that is so antithetical to most hobbits that that's the thing he wasn't willing to acknowledge for it was alarming. Sure. Which to but me is... Sorry, I, I just don't see... I. I I feel like it. Uh, there's not really room for other interpretation there. It's it's oh, kind of think, spelled out. I think, that's, but I think there's incredibly room for interpretation if that's what you want, because it doesn't affect the story anyway. 
it, it wouldn't matter if he was gay, but if someone wanted to read it that way, that, more power to them. That's I, it. That's I, what I'm saying. My, yeah, my, my argument is this isn't that, though. This but this it, isn't the point to look at for looking for whether or not Bilbo is gay. You're right. Bilbo being gay has nothing to do with the story right. at all, but this saying, isn't suggesting that. I'm saying this. Oh, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not saying it's suggesting that. I'm saying if someone wanted to use this as that, I have no problem with that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I liked that Gandalf picked a hobbit to piss off Thorin. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That uh, Thorin's all blustery. He's like, you know what? Fuck you. How about a hobbit? Um, I really like the line somewhere. On, there's two columns, so I don't know where I'd find it. But there's a line on page 373 where Gandalf said, I wish you would not always speak so confidently without knowledge. Oh, yeah. Oh, my like shit. Yeah, too. more of that, man. Um, and then my only problem, the only thing this didn't really answer for me that was set up, and I feel like, you know, it's just because it's 20 years later, I can see him not feeling the need, not even thinking about addressing this, was uh, on page 49, they talk about finding the 14th man for the expedition as if avoiding a party of 13 was of the utmost importance. But on all, in the appendices, there's no mention of the superstition of 13. Mm. And it's just like, that that's the only thing that would have made this just a little richer, a little more like, oh, I've read through everything and here's an explanation for everything. Um, but I am glad that even though it's not in the appendices. Okay, so the very, the very last page, or the very last line of appendices A, or appendix A. Because I met Thorn Oakenshield one morning on the edge of spring, not far from Bree. A chance meeting, as we say in Middle Earth, mm-hmm. which has a note. Which that note says, underneath the typed text, there is a penciled note by Tolkien that reads, Nothing is said to justify the musical instruments that the dwarves brought to Bag End, nor to explain what became of them. And I just kind of like that Tolkien called out his younger self, like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, I, I remember You couldn't have had a that... cache of Bilbo's instruments? Why do we do this? Or, or like, uh, that, that when they're taken by the trolls, all the instruments are destroyed, or like... Something! Just... There's just nothing that like justifies how they're carrying them. How, like, it's never referenced. Right. I think there's a couple times where it might have been referenced that they, uh, like, once they get into Erebor, there might have been a reference about like how they they didn't even feel happy enough to play music or something like that. But it it it's still very odd. You have a far better memory than me. I do not remember that at all. I might be imposing it too. I just, I just, that's my, I remember that whether or not it happened. Sure. Is a different story. Uh, but, but I thought that was, I thought that was cute. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Okay. So then appendix B. On runes. This appendix explains how Tolkien changed the runes on the dust jacket editions of the Hobbit to properly reflect their English and American publishers. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's what the section is. There's, do you have any notes on that? Just I was a little amused that the um, 1938 American edition of The Hobbit had a different dust jacket, but for the 1951 second edition of the book, the American publisher began importing copies of the British edition with a British dust jacket, and eventually someone knows the runes gave the name of the British publisher instead, and that, that yeah. was changed. And I'm like, eh, that's funny. Yeah. Do your work, guys. <laughs> or also like, hey, Tolkien, there's a limit to how cute you can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, then the bibliography. 
Part one, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're just doing the whole thing. I, I, I've not broken them up. Well, so if, if you'd like to, I guess I have. you're welcome to. But okay. The bibliography contains notes on translations and illustrations of selected covers of international issues of The Hobbit. And also it contains bits about the differences in the versions. Oh, yes. Um, and also international versions, I think I already mentioned. And translations. Part one, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. I remember as a child, a friend of my mom's had all of the extra books, the books of Lost Tales, etc. She was a huge Tolkien fan. I never talked to her about them, but it was very impressive to see um, them arranged amongst her numerous books. It gave Tolkien this extra richness and depth in my mind. These massive volumes with his initials on them and like the Roman numerals on the spine. I'm like, I thought the Lord of the Rings was three books. What the fuck is all this? Mm-hmm. It's, it was just cool to see. And I did seeing all these, the, 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 the one through 10, you know, the various books of lost tales and the return of the shadow and the war of the ring and the Morgoths, all that shit. I'm just like, ah, that's fascinating. There is a mention here of J.R.R. Tolkien, artist and illustrator by Wayne G. Hammond. I'm like, maybe that's the artist book they keep mentioning. The what? Remember how they're like, see artist, page 352 for more on this. Um, Under artwork in the bibliography, you have pictures by J.R.R. Tolkien. This is in 383. And then underneath that, there's J.R.R. Tolkien, artist and illustrator. And I'm like, maybe that's the book they keep referencing. I was just trying to figure out what artist was. Yeah, no, I I also have wanted that to know that for a while. Okay. uh, Yeah. I think here it is. J.R. Tolkien, artist and illustrator. Um, Wayne G. Hammond. Yep, Wayne G. Hammond and Christina Skull. And there's no internal internal pictures. So (laughs) we're just going to have to deal with that. Part two, revisional notes on The Hobbit. Page 384. Yep. I'm super amused by this uh, Tintin style artwork. Mm. Bilbo. I, I called it originally with the bubble uh, letters. Yeah, with the bubble letters. Uh, I called it originally Weird Orphan Annie Bilbo, but it's way more Tintin. <laughs> that little flip of hair. I just, it just, I was just like, the f- what, what, what is, what, what, why, why? It is a very fancy lad, like <laughs> a version a of, a of Bilbo. He, he looks like he's like, his like the curve of his spine is this other element that's like really like pompous. He, 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 this doesn't he, look like a hero. Is my no. It looks like well, it looks like Annie's butler. If yeah, Annie had it looks butler. like yeah, it looks like some sort of money bags guy. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. It's like Daddy uh, Warbucks. There you go. Part three: translations and illustrated. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm mm-mm, sorry. Not not quite a note, but it was something that I felt like was noteworthy. Is on same page three eighty four mm. adjacent to your. Uh, Tintin, Tintin Hobbit yep. are, is a incredibly funny, what I thought was incredibly funny, juxtaposition of two covers uh, mm. for an American trade paperback edition, which included artwork that's this sort of like egg-shaped oval window into a fantasy world. The bar- that, art by Barbara Reddington? Yeah. That Reddington, has, sorry. That has uh, nothing to do with this story or mm-hmm. the world that it's in. <laughs> And that's what the note says is like that it's this weird fantasy world with lions and emus and this weird tree with purple or pink bulbs on it. And apparently Tolkien fucking hated it and wrote a letter <laughs> to the publisher and was like, what the fuck is this? Um, 
why is any of this here? Where is this? It isn't Middle Earth. What What is this cover? And then on the reprint, the only thing they did to rectify it was scrub out the lion. And they thickened the tree a little bit. They thickened the tree a little bit, but that's it. <laughs> yes, they scrubbed it. out the lion. <laughs> that's it. It's ridiculous. The emus and, are still there. And and Barbara Remington eventually wrote Tolkien like, dude, they didn't give me time to read the book. Sorry. Yeah. I agree. It does not fit. Uh, it's just, it was, it's, it, it was, it was, it was very amusing. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, uh, cover. And I wonder if he was, I, I, it occurred to me that I, uh, part of his, I wonder if part of his fury about that had to do with really being angry that any part portion of the Hobbit had a lion on it that would maybe be too close to C.S. Lewis. I was wondering and, if that's right. Yeah. And how if that would have been like a very strong sticking point to him to be like, no, I am distinct and different. I don't have lions. I don't everyone, have Christ. Everyone says they were friends, but do you think maybe they weren't? Do you <laughs> I don't think know. Maybe like C.S. Lewis was like this thorn in his side that was always needling him, but like ready with an arm around his shoulders for a picture or something like painting this narrative of me and J.R. are friends. And he's just sitting there like fucking C.S. Lewis. I was initialed first. God damn it. I hate this motherfucker. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I would be so happy if that was the case. Because, um, like, even that, that anonymous review that he has of The Hobbit is, like, it's nice, but it's a little catty. It's super like, bitchy. Yeah. Oh, no, I, 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 I think I'm going to have my personal, my personal canon, J.R.R. Tolkien hated C.S. Lewis with the fervor of Charles Dickens hating, uh, was it Washington Irving? I always do this. I always get the wrong guy. Or Sleepy no, Hollow? Uh, 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 Hans Christian Andersen. Somebody oh, okay. showed up at Charles Dickens' house and stayed for like months. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I forget which author We've it was. I feel about like this. yeah, I feel like it was Hans Christian Andersen. Um, yeah, Little Mermaid, but, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think I, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine that J.R. Tolkien felt the same way about motherfucking C.S. Lewis. That's awesome. Well. Do you have any more notes? You think you did? I think you had another section of bibliography. Part three: translations and illustrations, editions, illustrated editions of the Hobbit. Let's just jump to the only one that I might have any dog in the fight of, which is certainly not German, as we've established. Um, I guess because I was starting to just skim through these different illustrations when I realized there are little notes in all. Oh of yeah, these. I read. I read all of those. Uh, I know you did. Oh, sure, I did. I read all of them. Sure, read buddy. them all. Sure, buddy. make sure I read them all. Sure, buddy. Um, uh, I'm enjoying the little anecdotes or notations on translations, opinions of translation, and, and and the opinions of the translations. Like the in French, the French edition there said there's a tendency to towards punchiness. I'm like, oh, okay, that's funny. Um, but the Italian, this is just, and I, I want to, I want to go on record as saying I. I'm not even approaching knowing what I'm talking about. This is merely a thing that made me go, huh, there's something. There's clearly something I don't know about. And it's the fact that it's called Low Hobbit. Let's talk about the definite articles in Italian. You have different words for the, la, le, e, gli. Um, Low, according to the definitive guide, 
to Italian articles for learning them indefinitely by Michael Cristiano. Lo is used for masculine singular nouns that start with a Z, a PS, a PN, X, Y, GN, or an S plus consonant. In plural, the same nouns take chi. Um, so the, the example often given is squalo for shark, lo squalo. So the fact that it's low hobbit and not ill hobbit was just interesting to me. There's probably a reason for it, but I'm just like, hmm, that is heretofore something I'm unfamiliar with. But it caught my eye. Rinconquista. Uh, I don't know what that means. It's the next part of the the. Oh, title. okay. Low Hobbit o la Reconquista del Tesoro. <laughs> yeah, buddy. He did it. That's what it says right there. No, it does. It does. It does. It sounds a lot more Spanish. Racist. <laughs> um, no, I definitely like did scrub these and re- try to look for the, what I, I I did it with uh, searching for the brackets because mm-hmm. the brackets are where the notes that are about the like the, the actual notes are. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you haven't if you have this book and haven't read them, here's an example of what you might find in like the Polish edition. Silawanswitz, <laughs> I don't know this person's how to say this person's name, apologies, writes that on the whole, The Hobbit is translated very well, its atmosphere is preserved, and the impact on the reader is, as far as I can judge, almost identical to the impact the original has on the English speaking. And so that's, that's I really, really liked scrubbing through this and finding those little bits to be like, oh, like, this translation actually works really well, and sometimes this translation doesn't. Because when you think about it in that context, like, I'm sure... Tolkien did as a philologist that your the language choices he's using in English have to find a way to translate into other languages for the same effect and that mm-hmm. is it's itself kind of like a puzzle and a challenge and I can't imagine it's easy and considering how many languages this is languages this has uh, translated into sure it must be deeply difficult um I re- I particularly enjoyed the the Swedish note See Tolkien in Sweden by Anders Stenström in Inkling's Jarbuk für Literatur und Ästhetik. Apologies to Sweden. Uh, 1984. Stenström refers to the Halkvist translation of The Hobbit as possibly the best Swedish translation of any work by Tolkien. Wow. Yeah. And you're right. There's just, there's just like cute little, like, oh, I feel um, worldly now. <laughs> okay. What's next? Part four, selected criticisms of The Hobbit. No notes. No notes. No notes. Uh, followed by, finally, the end of the book. Part five, societies. Also, no notes. No notes. No notes. And then, really, the end, there's a map. That's very true. No notes. No notes. No notes at all. <laughs> but then, for real, the book is over. You know what? It, is it? Because I just realized I didn't read The Dust Jacket. Oh! <gasps> You're bringing in the fly leaf? <laughs> um, no, this isn't worth reading either. Yeah, I worked in a bookstore. I know what book parts are called. Overview for me, having read it for the first time, I really liked it. I liked the uh, I liked the annotations also. I don't know how I would have felt about it having read it without the annotations, mm-hmm. um, especially a lot of the ones that add more context. Not so much the ones that are just, this is a variation from an earlier publication. That's fine, but it adds more like, richness to the meta context of the book but it doesn't really add anything to the reading of the story Mm -hmm. 
but it uh, I think that it's a pretty good children's story like it it definitely has like a fun tone and a fun like experience and adventure and it I think generally it's really it's really good. It's a really good little story. Yeah, gl- glad I read it. I mean, no, I don't have any like deep criticism other than anything else I already brought up. But like, it, it, it mostly followed the story you knew. Yeah, but it's a good story. You know, sure, it's a, no, it's absolutely. Good, but that was the main thing for me is like separating the differences between the films and the book were helpful to be like, oh wow, turns out an awful lot of what was in those three movies is in the book. What about we've read a lot of books. What about the um slightly older prose usage? It's a little not even archaic, I would say. Like I don't always have an easy time connecting with uh this writing as I would with something more modern. I would rather read all stuff like this. Than really? Okay. Stuff. Yeah, it I don't know. It feels like I wish people talked like this anyway because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it's it's a lot easier to understand for me. Mhm. There's a little like we talked about this early in the last episode um, about the idea of like a world where there's less imagery or, or illusion metaphor, mm-hmm. and uh, I just prefer people to talk speak like that. Speak anyway. plain to the purpose. Yes, and I feel like this book has an awful lot of that. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times Thorin shakes Bilbo like a rabbit, it's still like I know what that means. Like there's not right. like there's not an opportunity for a mis like a misconstruence there right you wouldn't have liked it if it said thor and snapped into bilbo like a slim jim <laughs> i know that would have been anachronistic and bizarre yeah but but also this book doesn't deal with like the ambiguity of someone's emotions being the thing we're discussing as opposed to the events we're supposed to be discussing and i find that in a lot of modern communication that's what i run into is someone Making an argument that they present as factual, but is in fact deeply emotional for them, but they don't understand, or, or the uh, the divide between the two is invisible to them, mm-hmm. and so they believe they're arguing something like factual or something like fact based, when in fact it is entirely emotional. Had a conversation with someone recently where they suggested that they don't know why they just don't they. They are they don't like the idea of building homeless people houses to live in because somebody's got to pay for it. And I'm guessing they had no interest in exploring why they thought what they thought. Yeah, it was all just the surface level. They can't get past having the in- energy on it. And the mm-hmm. energy is the only thing that they can. It's it's what they're full of. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, OK, well, I I don't really ha- want to have this conversation then because I have no interest. Like I, maybe it's maybe it's callous or whatever, but I just don't. I feel like it's a waste of time for me to listen to people tell me what their emotional opinions on political issues are. I can see you being um, not having the, I guess, energy yourself to, like, I I don't have the time to have this conversation and psychoanalyze you since you won't do it. Right, right. Yeah. It's both. It's like. I, and it I, sounds and exhausting. I also, I, yeah, it is. And I just also don't enjoy being the target for which that faucet is pointed at. Mm-hmm. And it's just because it's just like, I don't, I don't have any interest in that. And it's tougher. It's tough when you're dealing with people who you kind of have to have conversations with, obviously. Sure. So that, that's, that's, I don't feel like that is in this book. And I feel like, while at the same time, I also feel like as a real person, like in that note about the cover with the lion. Mm-hmm. Tolkien's actual letter to the publisher was weirdly polite and not as direct as I would have 
appreciated. Right. Like he was like, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but it was this very British, very polite, like, what world is this I'm looking at? <laughs> like, like instead of mine. being, yeah, instead of being like, guys, this looks nothing like Middle Earth or the Shire or anything I've written in this book. It couldn't be further from what I wrote. Why is it on the cover of my book? I That's must ask I, about I this <laughs> vignette. What uh, has it got to do with the story? Where is this place? Why are lion and emus? And what is that thing in the foreground with pink bulbs? Yep. It's it's, it's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just a little little polite. And, and you I want just, you want more of a what the actual fuck. I just feel like sometimes politeness is it's a shroud that obfuscates the like the in, actual meaningful intention that could that could cause change. Mr. Fucking new word alert over here. And it like I find, and it's done so with this this false politeness. Sure. This false. Not, well, that's he is terminally British. It, it. Well, yeah, but it's it's like this. It's like this phoniness that feels transparent. Like mm. for for all the things that the politeness obfuscates, the phoniness is transparent. And that's that's what bums me out. Is I just like feel like I just it, it feels like a waste of time. Like I feel like you're asking me to dig through your bullshit so that we can actually get to have the conversation we're trying to have. And I would just rather have the conversation. Mm. Feelings are probably going to get hurt and that's okay. That's what they do. That's what feelings do. So, (laughs) and I'm the sociopath. So let's, let's just all have our emotions and enjoy them and feel them. And to not, to truly not take it personally by having it out and then moving on and being friendly and normal to each other again, (laughs) as opposed to, talking around the thing you're trying to say for some fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Unless you're C.S. Lewis, because fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my thoughts on the book. Good read. What are your thoughts? Hey, you've read it before, but what are your thoughts? Uh, this um, time? I definitely, because like I said, I, I have a harder time with the older language. Um, so I enjoyed taking the book a little slower. Mm-hmm. And going through it and dissecting it, that helped a lot. It helped me catch a lot of things that I would have glossed over, I would have read, and then just funneled out of my brain because I wasn't mm-hmm. examining them. It is still a classic story. It's definitely mythic and iconic at points. I understand people used to be far more interested in wars, but the war shit does kind of bog down for me. I'm glad it's much shorter than it is in the movies. I'm glad it's... And Bilbo got knocked out and then woke up and it was done. Yes. <laughs> My favorite yeah. part of the Battle of the Five Armies. This is the part I slept through. Yep. Uh, but no, it's, it is, it, it really keys into a lot of human fears and dreams in a way that just becomes a, a, a amazing mythic tale. Yeah. I like it. I also like, for me, um, and this feels a little obvious to point out, but I, I just really like how plainly presented this book treats the story of the little guy who isn't doesn't feel like he's really ready for an adventure, mm-hmm. being thrust out and having one and being the better for it. Like, I know that that's basically the hero's journey sure. in general, but I really like how like like this this book doesn't in any way try to pretend it's not being that like enough times over we have moments where like Bilbo has to say things like oh man I really miss my miss my big comfy chair or I I didn't bring a handkerchief or like whatever he says and I feel like those are 
there, there's something in it about this being a children's book that puts all those things together in a way that like feels like again it, it feels genuine like it feels like there's a there's a sense of earnest intention or something in this book where like Tolkien wanted to do exactly that mm-hmm. and he's not forgetting it ever like he has this other stuff he's working on but he he's not gonna forget that the core intention of this story is to tell that story and it does a great job and I can't really think of I mean again besides mentioning literally every hero's journey I feel like most of them try to convince you that there's a different motivation. Sure. Like whether it's a woman or like revenge or something with this one, it's literally just Bilbo needs to grow up. Yeah. It's, it's just as plain as that. There's no more motivation for that character to do this thing than I, it's time I had an adventure. It's time I went out and like stopped sitting around and reading my books. I've got to get up and I've got to do something because that's what living is. And that's the element I think I like the most is that it, I'm so much more used to it being like, I've got to go rescue a princess or like, I've got to go avenge my father's death or whatever. And this See, one isn't that. That's real. I just, what you said was very interesting to me and made me think of Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. who I'm quickly, frantically Googling was born in 1904. So okay. he would have been, you know, what? Early 30s, mid 20s, late 20s when this book came out originally. Yeah, yeah. Say early 30s. Um, so he probably hadn't written his big hero's journey monomyth thing yet. And so because Tolkien is so steeped in all of this stuff, it's almost like The Hobbit could be seen as an alternate take, like a completely different evolutionary tract of the, of the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. It, it's no one's – Tolkien never read Campbell's paper and is like right. – even subconsciously influenced by it. So it's, it's a completely different progression. And it's, that's, that's fascinating. It's a fascinating idea. Yeah. Well, Campbell didn't just to, just to make sure I'm not misunderstanding you. He didn't invent the concept of the hero's journey. He was able to point out that all of the, the hero with the thousand faces is all these characters who do essentially the same thing. And they have these archetypes and they follow a similar. Sure. But had anyone ever, I guess that's what I'm asking. Was was he merely rephrasing a common idea that the hero's journey had these specific parts? Or was he saying, in my opinion, the hero's journey has these parts? No, I think he's saying, I, I haven't read it. Sure. But my understanding is that he is is sort of saying, here's my thesis. Right. The, the satisfying story that everyone likes and looks into, they all have these similar, they all have these okay. similarities. Yes. And that's why Beowulf and Sigurd and Bilbo and... Luke Skywalker and everyone else are essentially the same character. Right. So it's his unifying the theory. Right, right. Right, right. Okay. So yeah, so I would I I'm all I'm saying is the Hobbit is completely um independent of that. Of Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. Oh yes. In 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 that well, in that it came before his yes. theory was popular. Yeah, I, obviously it, the, it still yes, fits it has all a lot the molds. Of, yes, right. it fits all the molds, but you there an argument could be made that it can't be necessarily pigeonholed it's, by it because it was before it. Well, it's also not like Star Wars, where Star Wars was very deliberately like, I read Heroes with a Thousand Faces. That's I'm what I'm to, trying to say. You've I'm got going it. to, yeah, I'm going to make the uh, version we'll make sure all the beats that. happen. Right. Yeah, and, and I'm going to use this arc, this template to build my story, and holy shit, wow, was I successful. Yes. Whereas The the Hobbit was, was yeah, I think I hear what you're saying. Was to- Tolkien already knew everything that... On his own. That, yeah, that through his own studies and, and, and readings that 
uh, Joseph Campbell would have eventually put into a unifying theory, and he was applying it in The Hobbit. Right. In his own Campbell-free way. Right. And I, I, it does make me wonder how much, I mean, now I kind of want to read Hero with, Hero with a Thousand Faces, just to see if how much, if The Hobbit's mentioned in it at all, mm. or or how it's mentioned, how it's referenced. I bet you could find that out without reading it. Probably. But anyway, yeah, it's, uh, that, yeah, that's, that's the, one of the things I really like about it is that for as um, womanless as his books are, there's something, again, that feels sort of like refreshing to not have a love story in, oh, the, in the book. You know, being that, again, I, I feel like the Tariel inclusion in the, in the films is a it, choice. It, 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 change, it changes it and it makes it something that is like a little bit abhorrent, like it's or at least an an uh like an aberration of the original mm-hmm. text which if you don't have a problem with that okay that's that's you if you do that's also you as a person who doesn't have a fucking dog in the fight i can just say that having read this book and seen the films i think the movies would have been better without it i i we remember when i we've talked about hitchcock before sure and hitchcock seem to abhor this this thing also he seemed for well for me rephrase hitchcock seemed to abhor women but but he also seemed to recognize that his stories didn't need to have love stories except that the studios would insist that they need they did so that they could appeal to a wider audience and that same sort of studio mentality persists to today of this idea of like well what about the girlfriends of the guys who are going to see the Avengers? Don't they need to see a love story? We better put a love story in there just to mm. make sure that everyone, everyone satisfied to a middle, to a moderate level, as opposed to one small group of people being extremely happy. And I feel like that's what Tariel, that's what Tariel has felt like to me was, well, if, if, if uh, we're going to assume this is, again, this is a lot of assumption on my part that, the female audience member is only interested in romance. And then in order to achieve, to satisfy that audience member, we must include a romance in the story or else they're not going to want to come to this next movie. And if they don't want to come, their boyfriends aren't going to come and we're not going to get, sell any tickets. We better include our love story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know how true that is, but I have a feeling that the, the truth is obviously somewhere between that and reality. I just wouldn't be surprised. It, it, it smacks of enough of the same stuff I've heard about and seen before that feels like it's probable. And I feel like that's a that's a bummer because like this book, I feel like it just simply doesn't need it. Like it, it's it's telling its own story. Its, it's own tight. story is, is very specific about what it's doing. Tolkien could have had more female characters ever. Who knows? I mean, there are some yeah. that show up later. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's about it. Do you have anything else you want to say about this book? Uh, about the book specifically, no. Great job, Douglas A. Anderson. Uh, you really annotated the shit out of this. Well, if you don't have anything else, then we can do a uh, new word alert. Okay. New word alert. Okay. I've only got one word. I only have one word. I wonder if it's the same one. Stolid. Ballin? Stolid. Stolid. Oh, shit.
definitely a word I've seen. And I'm like, do I just associate it with solid because it looks like that? I feel like it's... I'm getting a curmudgeonly vibe, too. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go with steadfast in like your opinion. Uh, it's an adjective, so yes. Uh, it means having or expressing little or no sensibility to be unemotional. Oh yeah, no, not nothing like what I was saying at all. Um, yeah, shows shows what I get for just assuming a word means a thing because it sounds like another word. I also have another word I forgot. You bastard. All right, you ready? Yep. Incommensurable. Incommensurable. Um, a subject about w- which you cannot commiserate. Sort of like it, <laughs> the 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 broad the the definition that's literally like it it's the the lazy definition is not commensurable. And okay. commensurable is something. It's it's com- is it commence like to begin or is it commiserate kind of? It, and then it has a, another section here that says broadly lacking a basis of comparison in respect to a quality normally subject to comparison. Okay, so I was definitely coming at it from more of a commiserate, feel sympathy vibe. So I was wrong. Right. It, it basically means incomparable, but different somehow. <laughs> Far more uh, confusing. Yeah. All right, here's mine. Trammel. Isn't that like a drill? Trammel. Trammel with a T. The, oh. the word actually in the book was trammeled. I think he felt trammeled. Um, oh. I'm going to say bullied. It's feeling like being bullied or stomped on. To catch a hold of something as if in a net. Mm. To prevent or impede the free play of. Confine. Something wow. impeding activity. Wow. Wow. Good word. Yeah, good word. To trammel. Okay, well. I trammel, you trammel, we trammeled. He trammels. Yeah, all those. Yep. Um, All right, so that's the end of the book. Um, Next time, let's uh, read Fellowship of the Ring. Let's uh, do it. I don't have any idea how much we're going to read, but it's at least going to be 70 pages. Chapter one. Um, but since I'm sure, I am absolutely sure we're going to have different editions, we have to go by chapters. Yeah, that's sort of the trouble, is that when I looked at this, let's say we're going to read through chapter one. Because there's a preface and things. There's lots of stuff in the beginning. I, I gotta say, I remember the last time I read it, I remember looking at the whole passage called Concerning Hobbits and going, ugh. That boring Tolkien stuff, and then it's like some of my favorite stuff. It's all ins and outs of the Shire. I fucking love concerning Hobbits. So hopefully that holds up and it's as good as I remember, because I love that shit. I'm all about Hobbiton and the Shire. If the whole book took place there, and it was just like Peyton Place, but in the Shire, I would be happy. The swords and shit is fun, but I'm down with Hobbiton. That's all I'm saying. Okay, it's been said. I've said it. I don't know if my book has uh, appendices. I'm not sure if that's an only a Return of the King thing or not. Oh, it's only yes, it's only Return of the King. Okay, that's cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. you read Return of the King, and then like you're you're like, why am I done? And there's half a book left. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, yes. So you do we'll you reading. do have concerning hobbits, right? No. 
No, like at the beginning of your book. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. My book starts with forward, notes on the Shire, and a prologue. Let me let me go grab mine just because I want to try to figure this out. Oh I yeah, here like... it is. The, the prologue is called Concerning Hobbits. Okay, okay, okay. I feel like there are some editions where that is in the appendices or something else. And so No, it's just it's 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 just like gotcha. okay. a little yes, bit. Yes, that's okay. We're good. We're good. Yeah. So yeah, um we're gonna read through chapter one, which encompasses the foreword, the prologue, and maybe something else. <sighs> and note on the Shire records. Okay. And then but that's that's at minimum, dear listener. So if you're not reading along, you bastards. Gloves are coming off. We'll tell you what we're. We'll tell you how far we got in the next episode. Um, and until then, I, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers news. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. How about we get into chapter 15? Let's do it. Mm, that's me. So natural. <laughs> <coughs> the gathering of the clouds. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Just gotta collect myself from that. <laughs> Remember last time when you were like, oh yeah, I think taking two weeks off was great. We had great energy <laughs> the last couple times. It's gonna be fucking awesome. It's gonna be so good to have, like, take some time off and then really get into it. Energized. Hey man, you, I've got the energy. You just need to uh, meet me there. I, it's me. Okay. <laughs> do you want to see? Want to do that intro again? Let's do that intro again. The whole thing? No, 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 no. no. Right, we can if you want. Okay. Um, I just meant the intro of the chapter. But if you feel like it would get us back on track, okay. Yeah, let's just start over. <laughs> okay. Definitely some. Oh, weird energy there. Okay. There's also a whole football team of crows that are equally human sized. Or, excuse me, those are ravens. I apologize. Those are actually ravens. So, you might actually like this. There is a football team, the NFL football team, named the Baltimore Ravens, named such because of Edgar Allan Poe. And I think that's really cute and nerdy and silly that a big, tough football team's also like, yeah, English lit. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know why that just shorted me out. But it I just I thought if there was any way to get you into football, it would be that there was a team themed on Edgar Allan Poe. And there's no denying it. They they wouldn't and don't. I had to do four games yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. The All at once or in a row? Uh, Wait, yesterday? Time. Yes. Why were you at work on Sunday? Saturday. Okay, two Saturday. days ago. It was, it took, so it was much that, football, it, was that it much. ate away my Sunday, yes. Wow. Uh, no, it was Big Ten, so it was two games at a time and then another two games at a time. And so that's college. I don't care whose it is. It was football. It is football. 
One of them went into an overtime. It was it was horrible. It was so awful. <laughs> this is Rob's vet flashback. <laughs> Football is coming over the wire. That was that was Charlie. <laughs> he had the ball. <laughs> he couldn't wouldn't stop running. He kept taking downs after down. Anyway, this is all after the episode because whatever. Um, if it's included at all, yeah, if it's, it's not included. your work, if it's included. Uh, okay, fuck football. Where are 316. we? Three sixteen.